This episode is brought to you by Roundtable Group, the experts on experts. We've been connecting attorneys with experts for over 25 years. Find out more at roundtablegroup.com. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Discussions at the Roundtable. I'm your host, Michelle Lux, and today I have the guest, Dr. Larry Shigoris. Great. So uh, I'm Dr. Larry Shigoris. You can call me Larry. Uh, I've been working um, with the Roundtable Group uh, for at least more than 10 years, and I've been providing expert witness support for probably, well, actually, there was, I began uh, when I was a head of research at an ad agency, and there was another individual who provided expert opinions, and I was the one that did the research, the surveys and such to support that person's opinions. And that's when I began becoming acquainted with this kind of work. And um, I've been rendering opinions on my own since 1995, I guess. And, and um, so the, I, there's a lot of stories I could tell, but I'm thinking about the, the things that may matter the most that everybody could benefit from um, and thinking about what, what would I recommend experts give extra thought to. There's a couple of things. Um, one is, um, if you're an expert, I don't care if you're, my expertise is in marketing, branding, and also advertising and survey research. Um, it all, all wrapped in, uh, a, a, if you will, a layer of, of what I would call consumer behavior, where uh, my doctorate is in consumer behavior. And so I look, look to understand why people make the, the decisions that they make, what motivates them, what, what dismotivates them or disincentivizes them. Because uh, it all goes into many of the kinds of cases that I'm involved in, whether they be class action cases or uh, cases having to do with intellectual property trademarks or business disputes over marketing issues. But the, the, what I've noticed, particularly from experts who have not been experts, ex an expert a long time, and, and, and I sense that sometimes I've seen this in some other cases, because I'm constantly writing my own opinions and and reviewing other experts' opinions and providing sometimes rebuttal or replies, is that sometimes experts uh, get a little too much into the technical weeds. They, and this is, I, I, can't, I, I can't emphasize enough how important it is that, that when one provides a report or one testifies, you need to think about it at, at, at two levels. Um, if they don't, if the, if the lawyers that are, deposing you or if you're being cross-examined in, in, in a trial, you got to remember that the jury will, be, will have some highly educated people and some people that are not so highly educated. And you have to really keep in mind that, you, that when you provide your opinion, whether it be in writing or importantly, uh, verbally, that you're, you're going to have to structure it in a way that on the one hand shows you know what you're talking about, but if you spend too much time on vocabulary that nobody understands, nobody will understand it and they will not accept your opinion. They will not, they will not want to admit necessarily they didn't understand, but it, your, your opinion will not have the same impact. So there, there are experts that, that sometimes, I've seen experts get into great detail and I've seen, I've seen a judge say, I've asked you three times to explain that. Please explain it. <laughs> and it's, you know, you don't want to be that expert having the judge ask you that question in court, uh, for sure. Um, 
a few other things. I know I, I was asked to think about the two or three things that really matter a great deal. Uh, another thing is some experts, and I, I, you know, I respect the law, and I know I can read the law, but I, I, I'm not a lawyer. And, and if you're a marketing expert or you're a medical expert or an engineering expert or a construction industry expert or whatever area of expertise you have, um, the public tends to get see the experts that are on television in connection with um, famous murder trials or things of that nature, you know, uh, or some of the television shows. Uh, but um, uh, but if but you're not a lawyer, so never think you understand the law. Uh, do try to understand the law, read it, ask the lawyers lots of questions, but don't be presumptuous. Don't assume you know what the law is. And you know, and and I've seen expert reports. I, I, I won't mention the, the nature of who the, who provided them, where the experts go into really not rendering a legal opinion, which we're not supposed to do, but they 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 provide a, a narrative that is overly filled with legalese when that's not what's asked for them, and that's not their role and their place. Um, ask the the attorneys you're working with the questions you need. The answers to have, uh, and don't assume you know you understand. Which brings me to the the, the third the third point I'm going to make uh, when it comes to expert opinion, and I learned long ago as well. And the, 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 if I if I can say that the first two stories I shared with you were not mistakes that I made, but but I will share early on the first few years I was an expert many years ago. Um, I I learned that an expert, a good expert opinion and a good expert report is like a stew. You have all the right ingredients, right? And, and that means you want to, on the one hand, bring your expertise to the table, which means your knowledge of the articles, the peer-reviewed articles, or the, the industry-specific best practices, right? You want to bring that to the table. Uh, but if you focus only on that and not recognize the importance of the the, the, the discovery process and the testimony and the declarations and depositions that have occurred, you're, you're not getting the whole story. You gotta make sure you look at the record that, that, that was produced during discovery. So that means what you need to be is a little aggressive with the attorneys that were engaging you. You need to be very aggressive at asking for, I wanna see all the declarations. I wanna see the deposition transcripts. I wanna see all the documents produced in discovery. Now, some of these files can be 40, 50,000 documents. And you do have to rely on the attorneys for identifying what's in, what's in the archive, what, what is in the inventory. So you need to make sure you, you, you educate them the kinds of things you need. Because when I was, when I did this very early on, 15, 16 years ago, I didn't understand all the documents that could be made available. You need to be aggressive about it. You don't not, not be uh, overly, you need, to, you need to be polite, but you need to be very clear and aggressive at asking for, I want to see all of these types of documents that may have been produced that are relevant to my opinion. And, um, and you need to have conversations with the attorneys about that to make sure it's clear, because they don't necessarily always know. You may be working with a junior associate who may be smart and know the law well, but they may, they may not know what necessarily may help be helpful to you at understanding all the threads and all the nuance associated with the case. So these are, these are the three things I, I just discovered, discussed with you. These are the three things I would say that, I, that if you can avoid making these kinds of mistakes, not, which, are, which are again, not being, not being overly technical 
and and making sure that you're not you're you're looking at a wide variety of material both inside the case and outside of the case, um, and not trying to pretend like you're a lawyer because you're not. Um, um, you're you're going to be a lot more likely to be successful in what you do. So that's pretty much it. There's more. I, we could spend an hour talking about this. You know, we could spend hours talking about this, but right. but, to, but out of respect for all the other experts I've worked with or opposed, I've tried to narrow it to the things that I think are the most important. Well, so you mentioned that you were in marketing and advertising and consumer behavior. There has been such a shift, right, in what was advertising and acceptable 15 years ago versus how the platforms are changed to new audiences or the way it's delivered. Have you seen that apply on your expert witness side of it? Yeah, yes, I have. What, 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 what is particularly most important, what I've seen, uh, because within, within my focus, advertising is and advertising related cases tend to be a major portion of my portfolio. What's different today are, are a couple of things. The, the, the target audiences are more highly fragmented. You know, they're, they're just, there are more target audiences. We can get more granular with how and where we deliver a message and to who we deliver the message. So that's one thing. And there are different kinds of ways and forms and shapes of the messages. So unlike 30, 25 years ago, where, uh, I mean, originally back in the 60s and 70s, 60 second commercials were the standard and then they became, then 30 second commercials came on stream and then 15 second commercials and then even six seconds six second commercials um, but now the, the telling a, a marketing story is not necessarily constrained by these standard media buying units that appear on television so you can tell the story on uh, on via video uh, in any number of seconds you want for all practical purposes, the major networks, you know, the major te primetime television and such is still relatively standard, but the, the, the accompanying digital platform is, is wide open. Now, what that means is um, when you're telling a story, as, as, as putting litigation aside, when you're telling a story, you, you, you have all the freedom to, to, to play with who you're going to send it to, who you can put the message, send the message to, and what will the message be and what form will it be. Um, if you're an expert, looking at the record. What it's important is to understand, and there's, there was a time when back in the 60s and 70s, you needed to get a message exposed to someone at least three times before they really comprehended the message. Um, and that's how media plans were, were constructed back in the 60s and 70s. Now it's more like nine or 10 times, although it will vary. It depends on the complexity of the message. It depends upon the, the nature of the target audience and all these other variables. So these are not like, if you will, requirements, but generally the number of times you need to expose a message to people today versus 30 years ago is maybe three times as many times. Um, and today people are more distracted than they ever were before. They're looking at multiple screens at the same time. They're looking at their laptop, they're going back and forth between their laptop, maybe a television set on and their cell phone. Uh, many people are looking back and forth between, toggling back and forth between three screens. So you have to take that into account. So it's more complex today. Um, it's a very good question because it is more complex today. And you need to uh, learn from the past, learn from the 70s where a lot of good research was done. And we learned a lot about how people respond to communications, but stay current with the constantly ever fast changing media environment, which is increasingly digital for sure the social media and YouTube is so huge right now as well. That in itself, it's such a, it's its own different beast. And um, 
it must be interesting to stay ahead of the curve of what the next trend is going to be. So is that maybe part of what you kind of do too? Like look to the future, what's happening and what people have a pulse on like VR, right? Virtual virtual reality headsets. But keeping in mind, yes, uh, social media is a large portion of the messaging, but so many social media originated messages never never get seen. So, I mean, people may have a thousand followers and or be following a thousand people. It doesn't mean they, they're going to see all of the messages from all those thousand people all the time. In fact, most of the time they see a very small percentage of their messages. So you need to take that into account when you're trying to understand the impact of, let's say, in a false advertising case. You need to understand what's the impact in a false advertising case. I don't care if a message has been sent out a thousand times on Twitter doesn't mean it's been seen a thousand times, right? Absolutely, yes. Have you worked on any international cases or are you mainly mainly based in US? Um, I have worked on Canadian cases and I've worked on one, uh, two Asian cases. Uh, And I'll just say, now we'll talk about the business side of, of being an expert. I have found that the cases most likely for an expert not to get paid are gonna be the Asian cases. So I would say, if you're going to be an expert and get involved in an Asian case, make sure uh, the commercial for the roundtable group, make sure the roundtable group is involved and make sure you get a big retainer <laughs> because those are the cases that will, if, they, if a case is going to go bad on payment, those will be the cases. Interesting. And is it just because the courts are a little different or just, um, you know, maybe? No, 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 not, no, no. it's because um, trying to recover payment from someone in Hong Kong, let alone mainland China is not easy if they don't want to pay. It's that yeah. simple. Understood. And then the Canadian cases, do you find that it's it's easy to just uh, understand the law? I mean, you're talking about a completely different law, or is there a lot of the same similarities? The Can- Canadian cases are very similar, except my experience on Canadian cases is that they, uh, whereas experts in the United States are supposed to be objective, they are, they are objective, they're good, but they understand who's engaging them. They, they, there's understanding of that if, if their opinion doesn't, uh, is not helpful to the, the, the party that's engaging them, their opinion will never see the light of day, right? Because there's no obligation on behalf of the attorneys to share your opinion with, with the other side or with the court. In Canada, it's not the same way. In Canada, they expect the expert to go right down the middle and, 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 and to be a blip. I don't wanna put words in the, in the mouths of the Canadian jurists, but they, they do expect the experts to be right down the middle and provide more of a pro and con uh, set of, of a kind of discussion. Here's the pluses and the minuses, the pros and the cons to the issues. And I'm generalizing, but that's the yeah. difference I found between being an expert on a Canadian-based case and a US-based case. And is that something the attorneys um, prepped you for, or did you learn that the hard way? No, I learned that fortunately because the I, the attorneys who've hired me over the years, every attorney educates me. Every case, every new case, I've done about hundred cases, and every new case, no matter how much you think you know, you learn something new, uh, and that and, and and that's what the the gray hair and the wrinkles are for, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you, Larry, for all your time and have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Discussions at Roundtable. 
Our show notes are available on our website, roundtablegroup.com. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening apps. 